This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of biopsy principles from the pathology section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick introduction. The purpose of the biopsy is to confirm a suspected diagnosis, but keep in mind that the biopsy is not a substitute for a thorough history, physical exam, and laboratory investigation. Prerequisites for a biopsy include a CBC, platelets and coagulation studies, as well as cross-sectional imaging to evaluate local anatomy. Keep in mind that the treatment center performing the biopsy must be capable of proper diagnosis and treatment. Now, let's talk about indications for a biopsy. Indications include aggressive bone or soft tissue lesions, soft tissue lesions larger than 5 centimeters deep to the fascia or overlying bone-slash-neurovascular structures, an unclear diagnosis in a symptomatic patient, and a solitary bone lesion in a patient with a history of carcinoma. Now, let's quickly talk about when a biopsy is not indicated. So remember that asymptomatic latent bone lesions or symptomatic active bone lesions, which appear entirely benign on imaging, don't necessarily need a biopsy. In addition, soft tissue lesions, which are completely benign on MRI, don't necessarily need a biopsy, for example, a lipoma or a hemangioma. Now, let's talk about types of biopsy. The ones to know include a fine needle aspiration, a core biopsy, an incisional biopsy, and an excisional biopsy. So a fine needle aspiration provides a cytologic or cellular specimen. It is frequently used for carcinoma, and it's not typically used for sarcoma. A core biopsy, otherwise known as a true-cut biopsy, allows for tumor structural examination. This can evaluate both the cytologic and stromal elements of the tumor. It is frequently used for soft tissue sarcoma and has an 85 to 95% accuracy in diagnosis. Moving on to an incisional biopsy, this is done with a small surgical incision that is carefully placed to access the tumor without contamination of critical structures. An excisional biopsy has select indications, such as small, superficial soft tissue masses. Now, let's end this review session talking about the principles of the open incisional biopsy. So starting with the incision, be sure to use a longitudinal incision in the extremities. This allows for extension of the incision for definitive management. As far as approach, remember do not expose neurovascular structures. Remember that all tissue exposed during the biopsy is considered contaminated with tumor. Also be sure to maintain meticulous hemostasis. Postoperative hematomas are considered contaminated with tumor. Remember to release the tourniquet prior to wound closure. As far as the biopsy itself, be sure to perform through the involved compartment of the tumor. For bone lesions with a soft tissue mass, it is okay to perform the biopsy using the soft tissue mass. Finally, with respect to closure, if using a drain, bring the drain out of the skin in line with the surgical incision. This allows the drain side to be removed with definitive surgical extensile incision. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. When performing an open incisional biopsy of a musculoskeletal neoplasm, which of the following principles does not apply? And the choices are 1. Dissection through intermuscular planes should be avoided. 2. A tourniquet should not be used. 3. The incision should be placed longitudinally and in line with the intended future resection. 4. Excellent hemostasis should be maintained and five, neurovascular structures should not be exposed. The correct answer to this question is two, a tourniquet should not be used. 
So when performing an open incisional biopsy of a musculoskeletal neoplasm, the use of a tourniquet is not contraindicated. However, when using a tourniquet, exsanguination is discouraged. When performing an open incisional biopsy, it is important to minimize contamination and make subsequent surgical resection less challenging and morbid. To do so, the following principles should be appreciated. 1. Utilize longitudinal extensile incisions in line with the intended future resection. 2. Utilize an intramuscular plane to minimize the number of muscle compartments contaminated. 3. Avoid violating the joint when possible. 4. Avoid dissection close to the nerve slash vessels, as these structures will then have to be resected subsequently. 5. Avoid biopsy through and later resection of the rectus femoris where possible due to the high morbidity of resection. 6. Place drains in line with the incision. 7. Maintain meticulous hemostasis. And 8. Close the tumor pseudocapsule. Tourniquets may be used when performing a biopsy. However, exsanguination is discouraged. Mankin et al. published a study on the hazards of biopsy in patients with malignant primary bone and soft tissue tumors. They reported that the biopsy should be planned as carefully as definitive surgery, and that careful attention should be paid to asepsis, skin handling, hemostasis, and wound closure. In particular, the skin incision should be placed in such a manner as to not compromise subsequent surgery. Rugraf et al. published a review on biopsy of soft tissue masses. They report that the biopsy tract must be placed in the location that is resectable at the time of tumor excision, if the lesion is malignant. This requires longitudinal incisions placed in a position that can be safely excised on block with the resected specimen. They also report that it's important to avoid exposing critical neurovascular structures that could become contaminated with sarcoma and to maintain complete hemostasis in order to prevent hematoma dissection outside of the tumor bed, which could potentially transport tumor cells into wider or newer areas. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, dissection through the intramuscular planes should be avoided is incorrect, as when performing an incisional biopsy, dissection through intramuscular planes should be avoided. Answer 3, the incision should be placed longitudinally and in line with the intended future resection is incorrect, as when performing an incisional biopsy, the incision should be placed longitudinally and in line with the intended future resection. Answer 4, excellent hemostasis should be maintained is incorrect, as when performing an incisional biopsy, excellent hemostasis should be obtained as postoperative hematomas are considered contaminated with tumor. It is therefore recommended that tourniquets be released prior to wound closure. Finally, answer 5, neurovascular structure should not be exposed is incorrect, as when performing an incisional biopsy, neurovascular structure should not be exposed, as all tissue exposed during the biopsy is considered contaminated with tumor. Moving on to the next question. A 29-year-old man complains of a painful left distal thigh and knee pain. Imaging reveals a lesion in the distal femoral metaphysis extending into the lateral femoral condyle. An incisional biopsy is planned for this mass in the distal femur. Which of the following is recommended regarding treatment of these lesions? And the choices are 1. Incisional biopsy using an anterior longitudinal incision through an intramuscular plane. 2. Incisional biopsy using a lateral longitudinal incision through an intermuscular plane. 3. Incisional biopsy using a lateral longitudinal incision through an intramuscular plane. 4. Arthroscopic guided biopsy using a lateral medial parapetellar keyhole incision. And 5. Arthroscopic guided biopsy using medial and lateral parapetellar keyhole incisions. The correct answer to this question is 3. Incisional biopsy using a lateral longitudinal incision through an intramuscular plane. 
So an incisional biopsy should be performed using a direct lateral longitudinal incision through an intramuscular plane, taking care to stay away from important neurovascular structures. To quickly review when performing an incisional biopsy, important principles to remember to minimize contamination and make subsequent surgical resection less challenging and morbid are 1. Longitudinal extensile incision and no transverse incisions. 2. Use an intramuscular plane to minimize the number of muscle compartments resected. 3. Do not violate the joint where possible. 4. Avoid dissection close to nerve vessel as these structures will then have to be resected subsequently. 5. Avoid biopsy through and later resection of the quadriceps where possible. 6. If using a drain, bring it out in line with the incision. And 7. Meticulous hemostasis and close the tumor pseudocapsule. Schwab et al. reviewed what's new in musculoskeletal tumors. Some pertinent findings include 1. Chondrosarcomas may have mutations in COL2A1 that is up to 37% and isocitrate dehydrogenase or IDH1. 2. The T brachiuri transcription factor is highly expressed in almost all chordomas. 3. There is a complex relationship between tumor suppressor protein P53 and runt-related transcription factor 2 or RUNCS2, which is an osteoblast regulator. Suppressed P53 function leads to decreased microRNA MIR34C, which normally downregulates RUNCS2, and thus an increase in RUNCS2 activity. RUNCS2 in turn inhibits P21 activity, which leads to increased cell proliferation. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, incisional biopsy using an anterior longitudinal incision through an intramuscular plane is incorrect as an anterior approach would lead to contamination of the quadriceps. Subsequent resection of the quadriceps is highly morbid. Answer 2, incisional biopsy using a lateral longitudinal incision through an intramuscular plane is incorrect as an intramuscular plane would lead to contamination of greater than one muscle belly and necessitate resection of said muscles in the ensuing surgical resection. And finally, answer 4, arthroscopic guided biopsy using a lateral medial parapatellar keyhole incision. And answer 5, arthroscopic guided biopsy using medial and lateral parapatellar keyhole incisions are both incorrect, as contamination of the knee joint should be avoided. And moving on to the final question. A 15-year-old male presents to your office for evaluation of a right proximal tibial mass. Two tissue biopsies were obtained at an outside institution five days prior. The first biopsy was performed percutaneously through the posterior aspect of the lower leg. After concern that not enough tissue was obtained, a second biopsy was performed through an open lateral approach and sent for pathology. Both samples came back as, quote, high-grade osteosarcoma. On exam, the patient has mild tenderness to palpation along the biopsy sites and significant ecchymosis and hematoma extending down the lower leg and into the foot. A chest CT was obtained and negative for metastatic disease. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment for this patient? And the choices are 1. Prolonged chemotherapy. 2. Radiation therapy. 3. Chemotherapy followed by on-block resection and reconstruction. 4. Radiation therapy followed by on-block resection and reconstruction. And 5. Chemotherapy and amputation. The correct answer to this question is 5. Chemotherapy and amputation. So this patient had an unplanned biopsy of what ended up being high-grade osteosarcoma. Poor hemostasis intraoperatively led to hematoma extending into the lower leg and contamination of numerous compartments in the lower leg and foot. Principles of biopsy are crucial in orthopedic oncology and if done incorrectly can have devastating results for the patient. Whenever possible, biopsies should be performed at the treatment center rather than a referring institution. 
Biopsy tracts are considered contaminated with tumor cells and must be resected during definitive treatment in the event of a malignant diagnosis. When performing incisional biopsies, once again, important principles to remember are 1. Longitudinal incisions. 2. Use an intramuscular plane to minimize the number of contaminated muscle compartments. 3. Do not violate joints. 4. Avoid dissection close to nerves vessels. 5. Avoid biopsy through the quadriceps whenever possible. 6. If using a drain, bring it out in line with the incision. And 7. Meticulous hemostasis must be maintained as an area of the hematoma must also be resected in the event of a malignant diagnosis. Large post-biopsy hematomas can contaminate the entire extremity, making limb salvage impossible. Mankin et al. review the hazards of biopsies following bone and soft tissue tumors. They report on 597 patients who underwent biopsy for bone and soft tissue sarcomas, of which major diagnostic errors occurred in 13.5%, complications in 15.9%, and unnecessary amputation in 3%. They conclude that biopsies should be carefully planned and performed by an orthopedic surgeon with experience in musculoskeletal oncology. Christo et al. review the current surgical management options for bone extremity sarcomas. They report a paradigm shift away from amputation and towards limb salvage, with a prevalence of amputation of less than 10% at the majority of cancer centers. They conclude that amputations should be reserved for patients in which limb salvage is not an option, mainly due to the unresectable nature of the tumor or a significant exposed loss of function following resection. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, prolonged chemotherapy is incorrect, as high-grade osteosarcoma is typically treated with chemotherapy and limb salvage resection. Answer 2, radiation therapy, and answer 4, radiation therapy followed by on-block resection and reconstruction are both incorrect, as osteosarcoma is radioresistant and radiation therapy should not be used. Finally, answer 3, chemotherapy followed by on-block resection and reconstruction is incorrect as the significant contamination of the lower leg and foot secondary to the hematoma makes limb salvage impossible. That's all for this review about biopsy principles. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.